Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to the Dogs Program on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. Yes, the fanfare to the common man by Mr. Copeland over there in America. That's what you've been listening to, as you do. At 12 o'clock on a Saturday, you have been doing that now for, I don't know, decades and decades, because that's how long we, the defenders of government schools here on 3CR, have had to be defending government schools. Um, here on this program, we'll be talking about educational issues across Australia and indeed the world. Um, in particular, Jean will be telling you, or telling you, she'll be sharing with you in detail, um, issues of separation of religion in the state and state schools, which has unfortunately come to the fore because our Prime Minister is a, um, aggressively professing Pentecostal Christian. I mean, I don't need to know that about my Prime Minister, but he apparently seems to be very keen on telling me all about it. Um, and for various other reasons, the separation of religion and state is now playing out in our schools in a more aggressive way than it has for at least six months. Um, I'll be talking about what's going on in Sydney when it comes to state schools. And, of course, we'll be talking about private education funding in Australia and how, in fact, private education funding in Australia is actually going leaps ahead of the rest of the world because Australian taxpayers are funding private education at levels unseen in the OECD, unseen in the free world. And, of course, we'll be finishing off with our great state school, which today, actually, interestingly enough, will come from Sydney as I talk about what's going on up there. But, well, look forward to Jean's press release, as we always do, um, here on the Dogs Program, because she's been delving deep into the issues of separation of religion in the state and how that plays out in the state schools of our glorious nation of Australia. We'll be back with more defending of government schools after this. Have you been a patient at Monash Health? Then we need your help. Because we care for patients from so many countries speaking so many different languages, we need your help to make the patient experience better. To make a real difference, register to be a consumer advisor. Visit the Monash Health website monashhealth.org Monash Health is a 3CR supporter launch of the 2019 How to Make Trouble and Influence People Diary on Saturday the 6th of October from 3 to 6pm at the Old Bar, Johnson Street, Fitzroy. There'll be readings as well as music from Cold Hands, Warm Heart and Laura McFarlane. Entry is free. Proceeds from the diary sales and 20% of the afternoon's bar takings will be donated to 3CR and the Rainforest Information Centre. So come read, drink and be merry. How to Make Trouble and Influence People Diary launch. The Old Bar, Saturday 6th of October, 3 to 6pm. See you there. 3CR supporter. Welcome back to the Dogs Program. Yes. 3CR, in conjunction indeed with Monash Health, helping them, helping us, helping them. That's what community is all about. And, of course, how to make trouble. Uh, it's always a good thing to do if you're at 3CR. Uh, Jean, sorry, I'm, I'm being distracted by our very interesting <laughs> promotions there. Can you tell us all about what's going on um, in Australia when it comes to separation of religion in the state? Because the landscape's changing, isn't it? Well, it's very interesting at the moment, that's for sure. Now, we have a press release, 762, Freedom of Religion and Public Education, and 
the main part of uh, this uh, press release is a letter from the Rationalist Society of Australia to our great and fearless Prime Minister Scott Morrison. Since May, Prime Minister Scott Morrison has had access to a report from the Radot Commission. He's very fortunate because please note that citizens like you and I don't have access to it yet. Now, Ruddock, as you probably know, was in Howard's government. He's quite a nice guy. He's a, he's a committed Anglican, and he wasn't too bad as the Minister for Immigration. Well, he was a bit better than Dutton, shall we say. <laughs> but he was asked to review religious freedom in Australia. But all we've been told is that Scott Morrison wants better protection of religious freedoms but doesn't want to be a cultural warrior, whatever that means. Now, what this actually means, what Scott Morrison's on about with religious freedom in legislative terms is a complete mystery. But what we do know is that church schools are nervous. Now, it's very understandable that church schools should be nervous, since the strong religious freedom which is offered in our Section 116 of the Australian Constitution was read down and out in the 1981 Dogs High Court case. And if you want to find out more about this quite unedifying story, you can go to our website at www.adogs.info and you can read the story about what happened in the Dogs High Court case and you can also get access to a book that I wrote about it called Contempt of Court. Now, although there's been extensive questioning of the majority High Court decision in the Dogs case and we put this questioning up in our press releases 724 to 726. A lot of academics are questioning what happened in 1981. The simple fact remains that Christian schools in particular are in a perilous position when it comes to discriminating against parents, pupils and teachers whom they consider to be unacceptable on religious or any other criteria. And the other simple fact is that they only have themselves to blame. Because in a 26-day High Court trial case, in, in the dog's case, there was a 26-day trial of facts. Uh, and what did they do in this 26-day trial of facts, which you, by the way, dear listeners, heard nothing about in the local press, Private religious schools, most particularly Catholic school clerics and administrators, argued that they were no more religious than public schools and that the words any religion in section 116 of the Constitution actually meant a particular religion. And as a result of them winning this case, the religious schools gained billions and ever more billions of dollars, as we have noted here on this program, but they lost the moral initiative, if not their soul. Unfortunately, our religious men in Australia are neither poor in spirit or bank balances. We are informed that the proportion of public money being spent on private schooling in Australia is higher than in any other advanced economy in the OECD and has increased significantly over the last decade. And you can find that in The Guardian of this last week on September the 11th. Churches and their schools, however, still believe, would you believe it, that they are protected by Section 116 of the Australian Constitution but what worries them is the state's ability to make laws in relation to religion. And they can blame the dogs for that because back in 1988 we put uh, full, two full-page advertisements in the paper. Well, it was a double advertisement uh, when there was a referendum and an attempt to bring Section 116 down to the states because we believed that what the High Court had done we didn't need in the States. They had um, got rid of what, in fact, was a very strong religious freedom clause. So the, um, 
these uh, religious schools should read the dog's case again. And they should be worried because if any religion means a particular religion, then Section 116 is turned on its head. And so long as the Commonwealth does not make laws regarding any particular religion, it can make laws regarding any religion. Because a shield has been turned into a sword. But confronted with a dwindling base of genuine believers, and there are genuine believers still in Australia and there always have been in the history of Christianity, there are flutterings in the belfries of deserted churches with for sale notices. People are avoiding churches, but have they left religion behind? What does the census tell us? The census, which we we all filled in, hopefully, in recent uh, years, according to the census, Christianity is still the dominant religious group in Australia, with just over half of Australians identifying as Christians in the 2016 census. Uh, Of this 51-odd percent, Catholics are 22.6%, Anglicans are 13.3%, Other Christians are 16.3%. But, and this is the most interesting figure, those claiming no religion are 30.1%. Muslims are 2.6%. Buddhists are 2.4%. Hindu are 1.9%. And other is 1.7%. Aren't they interesting figures? Now, supporters of public education find the statistics of interest. But, fortunately for the children of those holding various beliefs, religion is irrelevant to their enrolment and education in a public school. For public schools are open to all, with offence to none. However, Demands for privileged status among religious schools wishing to be exempted from discrimination legislation has prompted a reaction from those wishing to be exempted from discrimination on the basis of religion itself. The President of the Rationalist Society of Australia has written the following letter. So we have reproduced it and we're very grateful to um, the President for sending us a copy of this letter. Now, the patrons of the Rationalist Society of Australia, which has been in existence for, well, more than 100 years, is the Honourable Michael Kirby and Professor uh, Honourable Gareth Evans and Dr Rodney Syme. And this is the letter to Mr Morrison. Dear Prime Minister, the Rationalist Society of Australia congratulates you on becoming the 30th Prime Minister of Australia In case you are not familiar with our society, that is the Rationalist Society, we are Australia's oldest free thought group, having been formed in 1906 to stimulate freedom of thought, encourage interest in science and philosophy, and promote a secular and ethical system of education. We have two concerns that we would like to raise with you. The first is regarding the government's response to the Ruddock report. We understand from media reports that you are intent on introducing new religious freedom laws. In your interview with Fairfax Media, you say that children in public schools, quote, should be able to do Christian plays. They should be able to talk about Easter. That's our culture. Further, You have in the past cited conscience protections as a key issue and you have labelled the mockery of Christians as a form of discrimination you would not tolerate. Prime Minister, children in public schools can do Christmas plays and talk about Easter. That's what a secular system of education means, acceptance of all religions and of none in a non-discriminatory environment. Further, Mockery is not discrimination, it's freedom of expression at work. The reality is that religion, particularly Christianity, is not under attack in Australia and there's no need for a federal law to promote and protect religious freedom. 
Section 116 of Australia's Constitution prohibits Parliament from making laws for establishing any religion, imposing any religious observance or prohibiting the free exercise of any religion. Christians are well represented in Federal Parliament. Over one quarter of parliamentarians meet regularly as part of the Parliamentary Christian Fellowship. At the start of every parliamentary sitting day, there is a reading of Christian prayers with little regard for the sensitivities of Muslim, Jewish or Atheist members of Parliament. And seven Prime Ministers, and now yourself, have been actively observant Christians. Churches enjoy fringe benefits tax and GST exemptions under the Commonwealth Charities Act of 2013. Australia is one of the few countries in the world where taxpayers largely pay for a whole separate school system that represents one denomination of one religion, Catholic. How would Australians feel if their taxes were paying instead for a whole separate school system operated by Sunni Muslims institutionalising Sunni Muslim beliefs? Australia already has laws prohibiting religious discrimination. The Federal Fair Work Act prohibits discrimination on the grounds of religious belief or activity in employment. All states apart from New South Wales and South Australia, have laws prohibiting the refusing of service to people on the grounds of religion. According to Pew Centre Research, that compares attitudes to religion around the world. Social hostility towards religion in Australia has increased since 2007. But this is attributed to nationalist or anti-immigrant activity not hostility towards the dominant religion. They further report that government restrictions on religion in Australia has decreased from an already low base over the same period. If there is to be any codification of freedom of religion and belief, it should be within a comprehensive Bill of Rights designed to balance fundamental human rights And in such a bill, the right to freedom of thought, conscience and religion must include the right to freedom from the imposition of religious dogma or doctrine, the right to leave a religion without fear or repercussions and the right to criticise a religion without fear of prosecution. So the whole issue of freedom of religion, of course, has got a long, long history and um, the rationalists are in part are referring to this. We don't need a um, we don't need a, a bill of rights for religion uh, religious uh, freedom because we already have a bill of rights section in our constitution, and that is section one one six. What we need are high court judges who understand what separation of church and state really means in a democracy. And fortunately for Australians, there was one judge back in 1981 who did understand what it was all about, and that was Justice Murphy. So up on our website you can also read the actual judgment of Justice Murphy. It's there, these ideas are there, and they are very, very powerful indeed. But uh, the problem is also there. It keeps coming up in every generation, and every generation has to fight it again. Freedom of conscience is really one of the most powerful ideas that the human race has had to fight for. But uh, that's enough for me. We are here about public education and it doesn't matter what your beliefs are. If you send your child to a public school, then that child should not be offended in any way because of the beliefs of its parents or the habits of its parents. Uh, That child is there for an education. Indeed. Thanks very much, Jane. You've been listening to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial and podcast on the WWWs. We'll be back with more after a little bit of music.
Welcome back to the Dogs Program. Yes, for those people who think we're deeply anti-religious here, I, th- I think you'll find that we're not. As um, Jean was mentioning off air before, we're deeply Catholic in our taste. That was a song called The Name of the Virgin from the Cantigas to Santa Maria, written by Alfonso X about 700 years ago. Um, so the, you, that's about as old and as deep and religious as you can get. But you know what? I like it, and I hope you do too. Um, that was performed by Winsome Evans and the Renaissance Players in Sydney and back in the mid-80s. It's worth listening to if you like that sort of thing. If you don't like that sort of thing, I'm terribly sorry. <laughs> but don't worry, we'll have something, something a little bit different, I think, later in the program, if you don't like medieval music as much as I do, or indeed as we do here at the events of government schools. Look, I'm, I'm wittering on because... Um, this next little bit I, I want to really share with the listeners is, is not pretty. Um, it's not a pretty thing. Because when you get things like sort of neoliberally free markety stuff um, and you apply it in the education setting, you get some pretty ugly outcomes. Um, when you let people, and certainly people who love their children very much, um, fight each other over the scraps of what is perceived to be the marketplace of education in Australia, you get some quite um, distasteful outcomes. It's a sad thing to say. Um, for the love of one's child, one can do extraordinary things to other people's children. Um, maybe perhaps this is what is, is at the heart of, in general terms, our immigration debate in Australia as well. I'm only thinking of my own child when I make these decisions. Um, yes, the devil take the hindmost as long as my child isn't one of them. Um, now, I'm being a little bit dramatic, I suppose, because the stakes are high, but they're not particularly high, I suppose, when it comes to schooling, because Australia has a very effective state school system. And if you send your child to a local school, there's a very good chance they're going to get a good education. Full stop. End of story. And if that's not true... If that's a situation where that's not true, if the idea of you sending your child to the local state school means that you expect that your child will suffer, um, as far as I'm concerned as a taxpayer, um, that's unacceptable. I'll pay taxes to make sure that ain't true. If that's, if that's the problem, if that's, if that's the situation, then quite frankly, um, that is a travesty, that is a tragedy, and our Prime Minister and all ministers of the Crown and all councils and everyone involved should actually be solving that problem. But in Australia, that's not what happens. In Australia, for almost over a generation now, we've had the idea that the marketplace will sort out how children are educated. And what this has led to in the larger cities in Australia, Sydney and Melbourne, everywhere in particular, um, you have this thing called school shopping. And it's a trend, it's growing. And in Sydney, indeed, it's, it's, it's proved particularly pro- problematic because what's happening in Sydney is that we have these once-bursting state schools in parts of Sydney that are now struggling to attract enrolments as parents across Sydney, and indeed Melbourne as well, embrace this concept of school shopping. They're taking this idea of choice and they're applying it to the way that they um, educate their children. Now... This choice is, of course, that they'll send their children not to the local school, but they'll pay some money and send their child to a private school instead, or indeed a public school that's outside of the local area. (coughs) Now, recent Department of Education figures show that there are indeed 43 schools in Sydney at the moment with a utilisation rate of 55% or less. And that actually includes more than a dozen high schools. So more than 12 high schools in, in, in Sydney at the moment have enrolments of 55% or less in terms of their capacity. So there's a facility there for 100 kids and there's only 55 kids in the school in, in, in terms of percentages. Now, if you have a school and the participation rate is above 75%, then what you're doing is you're using that school effectively in terms of putting money into it, the ratio of how much money you're you're putting into terms of getting the school up and running and the schools and the services means that actually that's a reasonably efficient use of taxpayers' money. You do. I mean, this was the idea back in the day why you had zones. Now, this is happening because in Sydney in particular, in Melbourne also, uh, we have this concept of gentrification. So in gentrifying scubbers, studies have shown that middle-class families are moving into gentrified suburbs, and they actually, suburbs I should say, and they worry about sending their children to the local school because the local school has not yet been gentrified. But the property prices, you know, because there's, because 
in terms of the people living in the suburbs, as it's gentrifying and people getting value for money and upper middle classes, people are moving into it, the school, there is a generational lag. And so we want to live in this place because it's gentrifying, but we don't want to send our children here. And because there might be da, 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 some disadvantaged students in the school, and I don't want my children hanging out with them. Now, in the Marupna area, which actually enables the marginal um, electoral seat of Coogee, where Labor has pledged to build a new school if it wins government, there are three public high schools in this area already sitting at 50% utilisation or less. So there's three public high schools in the area, and the Labor government, if it gets in in New South Wales, is saying, we're going to build a new high school because that's what we think you want, even though there are three high schools that are currently there at the moment. At Rambig Boys High, on the inside seat of Coogee, there are 634 students in a school that could actually take twice as many. Meanwhile, in the Rose Bay Secondary College, the Rose Bay Secondary College is actually at capacity. In fact, over capacity. Actually, 600 is a very nice number. It is, but the school itself can, ha- can actually take more. But the school down the road, perceived as a inverted commas good school, is oversubscribed. It's oh, bursting I'd, at the same. I'd go to Randwick. <laughs> yes. And I'll be talking about exactly what happens when you go to Randwick later on because we got some interesting stories from actual parents. Now, James Cook Tech... In that, there's 44 classrooms, but only 250 kids. It's a similar story at Riverston High School, George's River College at Hurstville, and there's several boys' schools in the Canterbury-Bankstown area. Now, Christian Ho, from the Centre of Policy Development up in New South Wales, has studied the way some parents moving to gentrifying suburbs avoid schools that are perceived to have high numbers of disadvantaged students. She says, and I quote, "Um, This situation was created by governments pushing the policy of school choice. That's ended up with strong mentality that you need to go school shopping. Just going to the local school is no longer sufficient. A school that loses enrolment loses school funding, and it will start to look like a declining school, and then that reinforces the perception in the local parent community. Now, the government is spending $6 billion over the next four years on 170 new and upgraded schools, as public school enrolments are predicted to surge by at least 21% or around about 150,000 students by 2031. So the state school sector in New South Wales is on the rise. It's on the march. But the head of Secondary Principals Council, Chris Pretland, said it made sense to actually use what's already there. It's not recycling. It's just sitting there waiting. Now, principals were given resources to promote their schools and bus myths in the local community because, he said... Good or bad reputations are largely illusionary. The variations between schools are so much less than parents think. Now, I'm going to say that again, because that's actually at the core of the problem. I'll say that again. The good or bad reputation of a school is largely illusionary. The education of the children of a nation should not depend upon the illusions of parents. There's something very, very basically strange about such a policy. Oh, there's something very weird about the way Australia does education policy in general. Mm-hmm. Now, and another point that's worth making is that low student numbers don't necessarily mean a surplus of classrooms that are sitting empty, as principals often use them for adding learning spaces or rent them out to approved organisations to raise money for the school. Opposition education spokesman in New South Wales, Shahad Dib, said more could be done. Um, they say, what is the department doing when one is under capacity and the other is not, when one has a reputation, inverted commas, and one doesn't. People are making choices not to send their kids to those schools. Now, a spokesman for the Department of Education said every New South Wales public school was a great school. When, when addressed perception issues, encourage parents to visit their local schools when deciding on a school for their child. Many of our schools work in partnership with universities, industries and organisations and focus on improving outcomes. Now, I'm going to come back to this. Because, you know, again, every now and then we give economic advice here on the Dogs Program because going to the school and seeing what's going on in there is often one of the cleverest things that a parent can do if they're wanting to enrol their their child. But, and this is the big but, in a place like Australia, and I've said it before, I'll say it again, there is a madness. There is a madness in our culture 
That means once a school gets a reputation, inverted commas, for having underprivileged children or a multicultural atmosphere or something else that's a euphemism for not good, that reputation, in, in, you as a parent, if you choose to send your child there, you will get sniffy looks from all the other parents. Now, there's, there's a couple of reasons for this. The most fundamental reason, of course, is any person who chooses not to send their child there and sends their child to a private school is spending money to do so. And if you get a good education for your child at the local school and they've paid money to send their child away from the local school and you get a good education there, then they have wasted their money. They themselves are idiots. <laughs> and no one is willing to admit that they're an idiot and they've wasted money. So therefore, the, um, the sort of, this, this reputational effect is cumulative. As I say, I'll be coming back to this because I'm going to talk about one very particular great state school which has, inverted commas, a bad reputation. But in fact, once you, it, you just have to glance at it. You just have to look at it to know that that's absolute rubbish. <laughs> it doesn't have a bad reputation. They're doing extraordinary things in there and the facilities that they're using, and they're using them to the maximum efficiency because they're not spending a lot of taxpayers' money to do the wonderful things they're doing. So we'll be talking about that later in the program um, up there in Sydney. It's a fascinating little school. I won't tell you the name just yet. I'll keep you in suspense. But we'll be back with more um, after this. The United Struggle Project presents The Change, revolutionary hip-hop theatre. Join us for an interactive performance taking audience on an epic journey through the Collingwood Estate underground car park, transformed into many worlds for you to explore. 6.30pm, Thursday the 13th and Friday the 14th of September and 3pm Saturday, 15th of September. Tickets on the Fringe Festival website are on the door. Free for Collingwood Housing Estate residents, no one turned away. Hey all you mob, be a part of the change. This ain't a pill to will as into apathy. Meet us on the front line and alternate and empathy burn. Darabin Council is conducting a review of everything it does to support people over 65, and we want your input. Whether you're an older Darabin resident, approaching retirement, or have ageing parents or loved ones, this review is relevant to you. We need all perspectives on how we can make Darabin an age-friendly city. For more information, visit our website on www darabin.vic.gov.au or call Darabin Council on 8470 8470 to speak in your language. The City of Darabin is a 3CR supporter. the dogs program so yes if you are listening to the dogs and you are over 65 and you are in the Darabin Council area get in touch with them because they want to hear what you've got to say and of course if you want to get out of the underground car parks in Collingwood and have a good show I'd do that too with the change um, welcome back to the Defenders of Government Schools we'll be talking about what's going on in New South Wales just now I'll be coming back to that when we're talking about a particular school in New South Wales that's doing brilliant work because it's a great state school but Every now and then we like to broaden things out. Now, I did promise you we'd sort of go overseas a little bit. I think I might talk in very, very briefly about that and in detail next week. Um, because what's happening, and we mentioned it last week as well, is that in America, their education system is literally being torn apart. It's being torn apart by the powers that be. In America... Um, it's a different, slightly different system in terms of where the money comes from. Money comes from very local areas, whereas in Australia, state governments fund state schools and the federal government gives billions of dollars to private schools every year, whereas in the United States, um, schools are funded by their local areas, functionally their local councils or, or their local, or, or their, their state governments as well. But some really, really weird things are happening in different places. The cracks are appearing. And in fact, um, teachers are now starting to have things like uniforms um, of disaffection. Wearing the colour red, strangely enough, wearing the colour red in Arizona means you are now a teacher. 
It's a strange, strange thing. Um, because teachers are now no longer getting paid enough to live on. In some states, they're having four-day school weeks to save money because they can't afford to educate all the children in, in, in various states and various local areas for five days. They just don't have the money. They're running out. And in Arizona, um, if you're a teacher in Arizona, you don't get paid enough money to raise a family. You certainly don't get paid enough money to have a mortgage. And so teachers are having second and even third jobs just to get by. Even if they have, if, even if they are good teachers who've treated it as a vocation and a passion rather than just a living. There's all sorts of people are having problems. And in fact, many teachers who are Republicans are actually causing to question who it is that they're supposed to be voting for, what it is that's supposed to be going on. Now, I'll be talking about this in some detail because the teachers' unions are now becoming significantly more militant than they used to be because they feel they have to be. It's a question of, I'm not eating properly <laughs> and I'm a teacher employed in America and I, I don't have enough money to stay out of the rain and eat at the same time. Um, uh, this, it, it's really quite extraordinary. Um, I, I, I think it's worth talking about because in America, whatever happens there tends to happen here about five or six years later. What happens if they want to buy a house or even have children? Oh, they don't. No, no they don't. I mean, you know, if, if you're a teacher, that would just be a silly thing to do. Um, but, of course, what's, what's happening is that teachers are now being called socialists and Marxists and communists. Um, and the Republican voting teachers are going, but I'm not. <laughs> I'm seriously not. What's wrong with being a social democrat? Uh, well, in America, that's, that's, that's a very serious question it's, that's sort of getting pulled out. Wear it with pride. Indeed, because teachers are now becoming much more politically active than they are. In fact, a lot of Americans, I think, are becoming much more politically active from the left and the right. I'm, I'm not going to make an argument about who, sh- who should win an election. Um, over in the United States, because I, I don't get to vote, I'm not an American, but I tell you what, it's a worrying thing to look at over there. But to return to Australia, to return to our particular madness, because quite frankly, um, America's madness is often described as, you know, gun laws. You know, why do, why do all Americans have a million guns and you can't take their guns away and there's something about the Second Amendment and they go on and on, mad and mad in circles. And the rest of the world looks askance at America when it comes to gun laws. They go, Whatever, like whatever, I don't, I don't understand. Try and take even the dollar off the Catholic Education Office and you're in trouble. Which is the point that I'm making. Australia has exactly the same sort of collective matters when it comes to school funding. The rest of the world looks at us and goes, what on earth are you doing? You're just an outlier. You're just weird over there in Australia <laughs> the way you do it. And there's been a new report come out actually um, from the OECD uh, which, is, which just backs this up. It's a fascinating report because it says that Australia, of all the civilised countries in the world, spends more on private education than anyone else. That is, we, the country, with our taxpayers' money, spend more on private education than anyone else. So basically, for every dollar that's spent on education in Australia, 20 cents goes to some private company or other. And when I say private company, I mean the Catholic Church or the Anglican Church or Access Education or Give Us Your Money Education Services or whatever it is, because as far as I'm concerned, they're all private companies. Some of them happen to have a, um, a CEO in the clouds, but that's, but that's none of my business. They're still private organisations. The now, vocational area has just skyrocketed, hasn't it? Well, Not to mention private universities. Well, private universities, private education, private high schools, private primary schools, um, private the whole thing. Now, when it comes to civilised countries around the world, the OECD average is about 8%, which I think is too high. Um, but 8% of all the taxpayers' funding from all the countries, like the, the mean is 8%. Many countries, of course, are much less. We're spending mo- much more than double. We're spending almost 20%, 19%. 90% of all money spent by this government on education goes to some form of private organisation. They shouldn't be called private. They should at least be called private public partnerships, with the public partnership being public subsidisation. Yeah. Well, the basic thing is that as soon as you give money to a private company to, to, to provide an education service, you lose accountability in Australia. Yes. Now, other countries give money to private organisations to educate, for sure, but they don't lose accountability. There are private schools in the United Kingdom. Those private schools in the United Kingdom 
are run, some of them by churches. If there is a child in the local area who wants to enrol their child in that school, the church has to say yes. They can't say no. They can't say no, you can't turn up because you're a Muslim or you're a Sikh or you're a Hindu or you're not Christian or you're an atheist. No. The ch- if the school in the United Kingdom, if the school in the United Kingdom is a private school and someone wants to enrol their child and they're in the local area, that school has to allow them to turn up. In Australia, that is not the case. As soon as you give money to a private educational institution run by a church, you lose the right to have a look at where the money goes. Auditor General's reports, New South Wales, Federal, Victoria, all around the world, this has been proven. It's, we are that crazy. Now, this is, now, this, this, this is now being brought up because at the same time, the government's share of total expenditure in non-tertiary education has actually declined. So the proportion that's going to private schools is going up, but the actual dollar amount in total has decreased in the last 10 years from 73% to 66%. The report also found that in Australia, expenditure on non-tertiary education as a share of GP decreased from 10% over a five-year period between 2010 and 2015. So we're spending less money, and more of it's going to private sources. Madness. I'm actually quoting now from a, um, a very interesting article in The Guardian uh, written by Michael McGowan on the 11th of September just this year. But the thing that I find the most interesting is this article was put up on the website, but the comments... The comments loads and loads of comments. Over loads, 400, I think. I've, it's absolutely fascinating. Now, for instance, um, one comment here by Monsieur Pumpernickel... <laughs> Interesting. He says, I don't think anyone disagrees. It's rather simple. The government provides parents with free education system for their children. If a parent chooses to opt out of that system, then they pay for it themselves. There you go. Easy. Pretty simple. The government provides parents, all parents, if you have a child, that's okay. The education of the child that you have chosen to have will be provided for by the government. I will pay for that. I'm a taxpayer. I will pay for your child to be educated. I think that makes sense. If you don't choose to use the system provided by the taxpayers, um, then you pay for it yourself. It really is that simple. And it happens all around the world, but not in Australia, because we've got this crazy choice business that we keep going on about. Another comment interesting by, um, oh, MJM Dogs, says that um, the Labor Party gave into the DLP in 1972 and given buckets of state aid to be gained by the private sector with lots of the bottom of the schoolyard poor needy school schemes. And the DLPers like Tony Abbott rewarded them by jumping on the shirt tails of the Liberal Party. If the Labor Party just had a little bit of guts, Australia would not now be the laughing stock of the Western education world. Yet still, they run scared when the Catholic bogey beckons. In 1973, the needs policy was said to end the state aid debate. Well, plus ça change, which is the more things change, the more they stay the same. The current state aid fiasco and the resulting inequalities are corrupting, running sore on the public finances and accountability. The only way to deal with with insecure would be the aristocratic parents and dishonest churchmen is to have nothing to do with them, (laughs) give them no public money. We should go back to the separation of religion from the state and a strong public education system. These are the foundation stones for proper democratic and genuine religious freedom. We owe it to our children and our children's children. When will we ever learn? That's from MJM Dogs. Um, yeah, look, I, well, obviously MJM Dogs agrees with the dogs very well because they're MJM Dogs. But um, quite frankly, the only protection, and we go back to what Jean was talking about at the beginning, I think, when talking to the separation of religion and the state, the only way to protect your religious beliefs or your absence of religious beliefs, or your belief in any form of higher power, is a strong secular state. A strong secular state will defend to the death your right to believe what you believe, but they're not going to pay you to do it. And that is the step too far that in the Australian education system we seem to be, uh, we seem, we seem to be going further and further down the well, down the well because um, with our current Prime Minister professing that, that, that what is it, that... Um, that are, uh, the religious people are being per- Christian people are being persecuted here in Australia. Oh, it's it's almost offensive actually. 
But you know what? I'm going to stop jumping up and down about um, separation of religion in the state. I'm going to tell you about a really brilliant little thing that's going on in Sydney because now it comes to that wonderful time that I always look forward to, which is our telling you all about our great state school. Every week on the Doctor Program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the week. Great state schools. State schools. School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. Ah, look. I'm going to tell you all about Matraville Sports High School. Matraville Sports High School in Chifley, New South Wales. It's an awesome school. Can I just tell you about it? It's, it's, actually, no, I won't tell you about it. I'll tell you first about an article which was written in the Sydney Morning Herald about Matraville Sports High School. Because there was a woman called Maria, I won't tell you her surname, um, who was highlighted um, in an article by Jordan Baker. Now, Maria was told to not send her kids to Matraville Sports High. All the primary school parents tried to, tried to put it delicately, because that's what we do here in Australia, as the gossip in the playground at pick-up. The parents delicately said, it's, it's too cultural, they said, referring to the school's immigrant and, and indigenous students. It's poorly resourced, said others. Some pointed out that um, Maria's daughter was academic, not sporty. And, um, well, the 11-year-old's friends were blunt in the playground. They said, don't go to Matraville Sports High because it's a bad school. Straight up. Well, you know, kids, they try to be honest as much as they can. Now, Maria is not actually the type of mother to base a big decision on rumour. So she actually went and did her homework. She spoke to the principal, poured over the prospectus, and met the Parents and Citizens Organisation of the school. And she liked what she saw, especially the school's relationship with the University of New South Wales, which gives people one-on-one maths coaching with uni students. It provides a gifted and talented program and allows access to the University of New South Wales' facilities. For her, having actually looked at the school, it seemed like a no-brainer. Still, her decision actually did turn some heads at the local primary school amongst all the other parents. Now, if numbers were anything to go by, a few of Maria's neighbours looked beyond the rumours. This year, at that school, there were just 244 children enrolled. In the school's heyday, it had 1,100. Oh, sorry, yeah, 1,100. It's not the only public school in the area that's suffering either. The J.J. Cahill Memorial School in Mascot down the road has a third of the 900 students that once populated its corridors. And even South Sydney High, the school that absorbed most of the area's children when um, Marubna High closed, is less than half of its 1,100 student capacity. Some parents are looking at out-of-area schools, such as Randwick Girls. Many are opting for reasonably priced local private schools. It's called school shopping. And it's a problem also facing other rapidly gentrifying areas of Sydney, where middle-class families keen to put their money in suburbs property are less keen on putting their kids in the local schools. Rumours fly through playgrounds and parks, reinforcing reputations that are hard to shake. The whole nature of the suburbs have changed, but for some, the school's reputation is still the old one of 30 years ago, says former Education Minister and National Party MP Adrian Piccoli. One teacher put it bluntly, that's just snobbery. Just snobbery. Now, over the past 30 years, the Australian education system has become big on choice. Big on snobbery. Mm. Not just choice between private and public, but choice within the public system itself. If a high school is not full, its principal can accept out-of-area enrolments. When the school becomes popular or otherwise, parents begin to choose schools as they might choose a restaurant, mm. opting for one that's full rather than one that's empty. We have created so much choice in the system that we have made everyone extremely anxious about their schooling choices, said Labor Education Minister, who used to be Verity Firth. A popular school can draw students away from other schools. In cities in the West, for example, Summer Hill Public School, with its selective stream, is at capacity, over capacity. And some parents complain it's now too crowded, while there's plenty of room at the nearby Dulwich Hill and Lewisham High Schools. 
It's a common phenomenon, said Piccoli. Now, a professor, and this is interesting, Jean, you'd be interested. Mm. Piccoli's now a professor at the University of New South Wales, Gonski Institute for Education. Well, he's very interesting. He's a country, country party man. Mm. He's from Albury. And he, does, he sent his children to a Catholic school, but he was very committed to the public school system. Very interesting man. Yes, indeed. Now, let's get back to this school, this great state school, this, this one that parents said, no, you don't, send their you don't send your children to Matraville Sports High because it's too cultural. Oh, isn't that, isn't that a particular... I'm sorry, every now and then... Don't worry, Mr Morrison's not going to be a cultural warrior. Every now and then, the mendacity of the Australian middle class just it just makes me... You know that little feeling at the back of your throat where you almost throw up a bit and you go, oh, oh, that's... that's that's. <sighs> sorry, sorry. I just, I'm just, just pausing here because if a school's too cultural... Matraville. Let me tell you about Matraville. Matraville's brilliant. <laughs> Matraville's spot on. Let's, let's just let's just talk about the kids. The kids are doing fine. Again, similar schools, they're just fine. In fact, in some some places, they're like in terms of NAPLAN, that's better. What does NAPLAN mean these days anyway? Um, the kids are fine. They're getting a good education. If they have a particular need of one form or another for education, I like maths, I hate English, that's okay. The teachers are on top of it. Straight up, it's a good school. Now, it's called a sports high school because there's a lot of kids that do sport there, but it serves the local community as a co-educational specialist high school with actually a high-quality sports program. Now, when I say high-quality sports program, they actually have a high-performance coach in the school. His name is Paul Moffat. He does technical work um, with um, people who want to be pro surfers. Seriously, down on Coogee Beach. So, well, I'll go on there. It sounds like fun. Um, also, they have a high-performance coach for athletes. They have high-performance coaches for cricketers. They have high-performance coaches for all sorts of other sports that are available to the children at the school. I mean, so straight up, yeah, that's sincere. You've got a sporty kid. Yeah. Do you know what? They wear shirts and ties and proper uniforms, so, so they even look like pri- pri- you know, private school kids. It's an extraordinary situation. Now, how much does it cost to educate a kid here at Matraville? How much money do you have to spend on a child at this particular school when it comes to educating these children? Well, quite frankly, it costs a reasonable amount because the socioeconomic profile of the kids in this school is very, very interesting because in terms of the profile of the school, 4% of the kids come from the richest families in Australia. Four. 15% come from the upper middle classes of Australia, the upper middle quartiles, and the rest, or you can work it out, come from the lowest and poorest families in Australia, the income of their parents. 50% come from the poorest families in Australia, around about 50, 50%. So the kids in this, the kids in this school come from schools that are, by, come from homes, I should say, that do not have a lot of spare money in a gentrifying area. So there's a lot of pressure on at home, and these kids, obviously, in Australia, I'll say it again, if you come from a poor family, you're going to get not such a good education, which is itself disgusting, but a fact we have to realise. And so to educate the kids in this particular school with all these high-performance coaches and relationships costs around about $27,000 per student. But, and here's the thing, and this is the bit that really gets me, that's because there's 244 kids in a, in a school that fits a 1,000. If you put another couple of hundred kids in that school, the school's just as good, the education's just as good, and the dollars per student goes down. goes down real, real quick. And the fact that we are wasting money by having this empty school, a really good school that's full on empty, it's full on empty because, you know, there's, there's, there's spaces for other kids to turn up there, but the parents won't send their kids because they're snobs. That's actually, say, that's actually wasting our money. I'll say it again. It is ridiculous that the policy, the educational policy of Australia depends upon the opinions and the insecurities of lower and middle middle class parents. That is crazy. Indeed. And I think here, at the, here on the Doctor program, we're going to finish off the program by telling what, what Maria has to say. And she's actually saying she's very happy with her choice. Her child in year eight is now thriving. 
They really look at ways to provide opportunities for my girl, she says. If she's happy, I'm happy. My son's going to go there next year too. Recently, she overheard a teacher at her kid's primary school talking about Matraville High School. She said, apparently, it's really turning around, said Maria, very proudly. The fact that my daughter goes to that school has actually now made other people have second thoughts. Mm. She becomes the champion for the school, which is the way it works. Good parents, good schools, working together with taxpayers' money. And it's just, it's just that simple. You've been listening to The Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the A&R with myself, with Jean and with Dale here in the studio. Unfortunately, we have to come back next week because we haven't solved all the problems yet. As soon as we solve all the problems and the separation of religion in the state and all the state schools are properly funded, um, you'll be right. If you want to find out more about what we're talking about, of course, you can get in touch with us at our website, www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. And if you want to just give the station a call and you've got a great state school that you want us to share information about, please do. You can call the station on 94198377. That's 94198377. But until next week when the fight continues, it's bye for now. I saw Joey last night, alive as you and me. Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he. I never died, says he. In Salt Lake City, Joe, says I, him standing by my bed. They framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I'm dead, says Joe, but I'm dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe, they shot you, Joe, says I, takes more than guns to kill a man. Says Joe, I didn't die. Says Joe, I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill, went on to organize. Went on to organize From San Diego up to Maine In every mine and mill Where workers strike and organize It's there you find your hill It's there you find